Welcome, everybody, to the Eyes on Big Podcast, your go-to Big Ten football podcast. I'm your co-host, Jeffrey the Greek, joined, as always, by... This is Big Hurt here. Big Hurt, you're on Twitter. I'm on Twitter. I'm Big Hurt on Twitter at B1GKURT. And I am Jeffrey the Greek at Jeffrey the Greek. Thank you so much for listening and downloading the podcast uh, as we record this on a Thursday evening. Uh, have a glass of wine, and so do you, which I is have, pretty rare. I mean, that's the news here, yeah, is cheers, that buddy. I have a yeah. glass of wine. Yeah, you look so sophisticated with that in your hand. Well, you know, I've been drinking a little bit of wine lately. It's good stuff. It is pretty good. And it's funny because you had told me you should try Pinot's from Willamette Valley. Yep. And I like them. That's, there you go. It's my go-to. Not that I know a lot about wines, but I like. I really like the Pinot, and I do tend to, you know, if I get something from Willamette, I pretty much like it. Uh, you know, just because, I mean, this happened organically, this conversation, but Vegas Sportsbook, Brian, yeah. our, our friend, who obviously has hooked us up big time with the Trace Agave's line, even more of a wine connoisseur than he is probably Interesting. tequila. He was the one that educated me on this. I knew enough to know that I liked Pinot Noir. I did not know why I loved some Pinot Noirs and just really Mm. liked others. And he figured it out. He goes, I got it. You like Oregon great Pinot Noirs. He was the one that dialed it in. And and, uh, analogy that I try to use with people um, is, okay, do you drink beer? Yeah, yeah, I drink beer. Do you like every beer you drink? No, no, I don't like every beer I drink. It's the same with wine, sure. you know, like I, I there, I like Pilsners, but I don't like pale ales. It's the same thing with wine. People just don't take the time to, to get to know that. So, so I'm going to give another plug to our friends at Trace Agaves and what, what's his company called that, that sells uh, it? Trincaro, the Trincaro wine family, yeah. Trincaro wine family, because I still had some of those mixers left. Um, it was the chili, uh, mango, mango chili, which is delicious. And I had some old Don Julio that a friend had brought over, and it's been there literally for six months because I don't touch that, you know? And so I poured some Don Julio because I was used to drinking the Trace Agaves, the Resposado and then Añejo, and I liked those. And I put just a little bit of mixer in there. Oh, boy. Could not do it. I had to... I had to really top it off with that Trace Agaves. But really? It, but, it was, but it covered up the awful Don Julio flavor. So once that again, Trace Agaves comes through for me. And actually, I'll, I'll put a bow on uh, the Trace Agaves, which will then fold into uh, what I was up to last weekend. Um, brought some Trace Agaves with me down to Iowa and shared it with some ex-teammates uh, okay. down in Iowa City. Um, one of my ex-teammates, I'll probably keep most of them uh, unnamed, uh, but he's got just put in a nice pool in his house there uh, near Iowa City. So we all swam and hung out with the wife and kids um, in the pool. That was fantastic. Brought Chase, Trace Agaves. One of my teammates just texted me today. Hey, what was that stuff you brought? That stuff was fantastic. Of course, it was the mixers that we talk about. The uh, um, the ginger pineapple was the most. Oh, I want to try that popular one. Of everybody, it, it was fantastic. Okay, so, I was at a work event, yeah. and I I brought some. Yeah, and everyone's like, I love this stuff. Or a couple guys did, and they're like, the ginger pineapple. Got to try it. Uh, so I'm gonna go out and buy some. I all of it's good, but the ginger pineapple, just personally to me, you know, it, it, it's at the top of the heap. The strawberry was fantastic. Pretty good too. Um, so crib notes version of the weekend. It was the most incredible, one of the most incredible weekends I've ever had. Uh, down in Iowa City, I know that's probably putting it out there quite a bit, but uh, 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 Mrs. Greek and the two boys and I got down there on Thursday. Um, and what was the occasion? So uh, the first night was a teammate's wife is an amazing photographer. We took family pictures. Um, that's a stress monkey. Any oh. any <laughs> any dad that's listening, which we got quite a few, that has took family pic- pictures is nodding, and it, it it's like I would rather go to the dentist. There's no doubt about that. Wow. Yes, it's, that's saying something. But she did an amazing job making. The, the boys feel comfortable, the place she's picked. We may or may not have been able to get into Kinnick Stadium mm. to do a second round of family pictures, which was fantastic. Uh, then the reason we, the main reason we were down there was a big Hawkeye football reunion. 
Um, I mean, dude, it's a blast from the past when you literally have not laid eyes on a teammate in 20 years. And the odd thing is, like, we kept joking. These are dudes that you saw literally every day of your life for big chunks of the year. And then, poof, they're gone. They're out of your life. They move back to where they're from. You move, whatever. And then you see them again. It was fantastic. I mean, let me ask you this. Yeah. Because. And this was this is for my twenty year high school reunion. Okay, yeah, I talked to some of the football players. hadn't changed a bit. You know, I understand where you're coming from. My take was that a lot of guys were out to prove they were not the meathead they were twenty years ago. Um, yes, some some guys are very close to being the same. If they've never had a reason to change. They just kind of stay the same, you know? I, I feel like the guys that I'm talking about were trying to prove that they were still the meatheads that they were back could then. Could be. Could be. I, I was, uh, you know, as, as I've stated uh, many times, I, I practiced a lot more than I played at Iowa, but there there was no stigma to that. The, all my teammates were were great to hang out with. So Friday night was, was a blast. It was at a, a brewery called Big Grove Brewery in Iowa City. Uh, and so lots of funny stuff. I mean, I can't name everybody, but one funny story involves my wife, Mrs. Greek, um, who bless her heart, uh, is just blissfully unaware of all things Iowa football. You know, she just, and, and it's, it's actually, it's a positive because it, you, you take her into that situation. She's not, she doesn't think it's a big deal at sure. all. She's just meeting dudes, you know, right. meeting dudes and their wives and everything like that. Who's this guy? Sanders? Bob Sanders? <laughs> hey, how you doing? So along those lines, um, you know, she's meeting people. I mean, for for stretches of a time, I'm not even next to her. You know, like I'm too busy talking to dudes. And that's another positive thing I can say about my wife is that she's perfectly fine in that setting just kind of making friends and doing her own thing. She's awesome. And so we got separated for a while and she, she comes back and she's like, man, who is that? That little guy, that wrestler, he's intense. Like, man, he was talking about motivation stuff. And I'm like, who? And I look over, it was Tim, Tim Dwight. Dwight. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and I'm like, oh, when you said Dwight. little wrestler, I'm like, it has to be Tim Dwight. So that was, that was just pretty, pretty funny story. I thought, um, anyways, tons of, tons of good stuff that night. The next day, um, was, uh, was actually the pool day with the, uh, uh, teammates. We had a blast. Um, and then we went back to the complex and they had a kid's day family day. Okay. Um, so you walk in, that's the first time I had seen the new football, sure. you know, bubble indoor practice facility and it leads oh, right into the, okay. Act. So gotcha. they had like, you know, like a bounce house set up for the kids outside, stuff like that. Well, the first person you see when you walked into the complex was Kirk Ferentz, head coach Kirk Ferentz. Um, Of course, uh, you know, he's got somebody. Was he trying to stop everyone from having fun? (laughs) Stop. So he's, you know, obviously like people are, as soon as they walk in, you know, they're like many a Hawkeye fans are starstruck. You know, it's, it's, it's coach Ferentz. Um, We were more hungry at that time. So we just shuffled over and got food for ourselves and the, and the boys, Um, and then, you know, again, there was some more teammates there and whatnot. So we kind of just started working. They gave us these really cool Hawkeye badges. Um, and then for the kids, they gave them these little plastic yellow Hawkeye plastic footballs, you know? So obviously you start playing catch with the kids inside the practice facility, stuff like that. You know, they're saying go Hawks, all that stuff. So we start kind of meandering towards coach Ferentz because I just want to say hi and great to see you before, you know, we, we take off for the night. So we're a little bit closer talking to an ex teammate of Doug, the Carthaginians who, who funny was his roommate, his very first year in on campus at Slater dorm. So me and him are sitting there talking. Coach Ferentz is kind of to the left of me. Then all of a sudden we hear a, Ooh, like that. And everybody freezes. Mrs. Greek is looking at me and her eyes are as big as, as saucepans. And I look at Coach Ferentz, and I said, did my son just hit Coach Ferentz in the side of the head with the football? And Mrs. Greek's like, yep. And without missing a beat, Coach Ferentz goes, hey, hey, 
kid's pretty accurate. We better, better keep our eye on that kid. <laughs> yeah. And everybody died laughing. Awesome. I was like, yes. Oh, okay. And I'm like, well, now's as good as time as any. Hey, Coach Ferentz. And then walked right. over. And I'm like, I am so sorry. And I hope I'm making a bigger deal out of it in my head than it was at the I'm time. I'm sure like you he, are. I, you yeah, know, I'm sure you are. Typically, you know, when you go hang out with Coach Ferentz for a little bit, it doesn't happen every time. You prefer that your five-year-old does not launch a football at his head. Sure, but, but Kirk is a grandfather, yes? He's, he's he, got he, right. I'm sure it's not the first That's, time it's happened to him. <laughs> but I don't even know who he's talking to at the time. It sure, could have been recruits. Yeah. It could have been, like, right. I, I don't know. It could have been somebody from the big t- I don't know. It, like, Anyways, it, the, well, the conversation abruptly Little Greek is making an impression already. I love and then, it. and then I'll leave most of the uh, uh, conversation private. But the first thing Coach Ferentz always says, "How's your dad doing? How, how's your dad?" Ask about my dad. Okay. Everybody loves Grandpa Greek. I guess sure. we could call them. But anyways, there's my story. Thought thought some at least hockey fans would get a kick out of that. Sounds like a fun time, man. It was it was a phenomenal weekend. Mm, I'm jealous. And then when I came back Sunday, <laughs> my body was not used to that much energy and, and sure. consumption. Um, then we had a project uh, that started that I think I kind of alluded to in previous podcasts. Uh, that project is now finished. As of Thursday, we finished a day early. Nice. Um, it's it's a great time to be Jeffrey the Greek today. Very good, man. Yeah, yeah there you go. Well, tough transition here to okay. some housekeeping. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So uh, some really bad news out of Champaign. Bobby Roundtree, the defensive end from Illinois, uh, you know, very good player, Got in that tragic swimming accident, paralyzed, was making a comeback, was get you know, doing uh rehab assignments, was looking good, you know, slowly but but surely improving, improving, very positive, incredible attitude. He just suddenly passed away. Uh on the sixteenth of, of July. So blood, blood clot, Craig, is that what we think or I, I don't know what it is. Yeah. I mean I, I can't imagine there's gotta be Un, you know, or, well, like crazy you number of complications that yeah. could happen. I I know that blood clots are common in that in that type of scenario. I don't know if that's what it was. I don't even want to speculate, to be honest, but just suddenly passed away. He had posted a rehab video two days prior. He was posting like inspirational things on Twitter, which he did all the time. He was, very, he was known as a very positive, you know, never like felt sorry for him. It did himself. Right. It didn't seem just right. always very positive. Wanted to be an him and Eric Legrand, you know, same, yeah. it's just it's like crazy. the way they've handled that. It's been incredible. And his goal was to be a motivational speaker. His goal was to walk again. He was making progress and then suddenly passed away. So rest in peace, Bobby Roundtree. Just a shame. It was. I was gutted. Like when I when I saw it, I was just so shocked. I'm like, this can't be. Like I just saw him working out. I know. And it was the same feeling I had when I found out that he got paralyzed. Just just horrific. But just terrible. I mean, the guy was on his way to the NFL. I think he was going to be an NFL player. That was his goal. He wanted to take care of his mom. So just really sad, tragic yep. all around. Yeah. Rest in peace, indeed. Um, it, it's just crazy that things like that can happen, but sorry to you. Sorry to Illini nation. And obviously mostly sorry to the Roundtree family. Yeah. You know. So speaking of, I should probably look this up and post it. There is a GoFundMe because his, his family is, is, you know, just an unbelievable amount of debt from, from the, the care that he's required. So, um, I donated the other day, so I'm I'm sure I can find it and post Absolutely, it. Absolutely, yeah. And go please, find it. please, even if it's just ten bucks, give to them because it sounds like they're really in need. So that's a shame. Yes. Um. So there's but been a lot it of does t- show you the family that is college football. Um. You know, Big Ten football. I would even say too. I mean, people people know the names of these players, yeah. even when it's somebody that maybe plays for your rival or whatever. They're guys that you get to know. When things like this happen, again, it, it tends to bring college football fans together. So that yeah. would be the positive spin I think I could put on it. Got a lot of nice DMs from non-Illini fans. That's awesome. I mean, just all over the place. Like, I can't believe this. Yep. What happened? And so, yeah. And so let me ask you this. A lot of people have been saying, well, let's retire as number 97. I would almost rather they didn't and somebody every year wears 97 on the defensive line. Love it. I think that's I the think way to either, do it, right? I think either one of those is fantastic. I'd rather see someone in his jersey. Yeah, me too. Me too. Yeah, okay. but I'm not sure what they'll do. Okay, moving on. The Houston Chronicle, this is huge. We will be talking about it in depth. We won't talk about it in depth now. Is reporting that University of Texas and Oklahoma University – sorry, University of Oklahoma. I can't believe I just did that. Sorry, Sooner fans. Reached out to the SEC about joining. I thought this was just smoke and mirrors sure. at first. Twitter but it, it sounds like there's it's actually – It's a thing. Yeah. 
It sounds like there's some reciprocation from the SEC. It sounds like something could happen sooner rather than later, but we are going to talk with our guest yes. about this yes. at the end of this cast. So we'll set that up as best we can right now. Um, obviously, this is a Big Ten football-specific podcast, uh, so when our next guest will come on, we will save that hot topic uh, for the end of the podcast. Um, cruising around town yesterday and today when I was in my truck, it, having it on sports talk radio that was pretty much all they talked about there could be some fatigue there from even you the listener but if not if you want to hear our take it will be at the end but before that we are going to have on one of the greatest literally one of the greatest college football minds available today brett siancia with pick six previews so much of a college football mind is he that he is a heisman trophy decider picker i don't know exactly want to say it but that's a big deal, folks. I think so. I think that's a big deal. It's kind of a big deal. <laughs> okay. So without any further delay, we will bring on Brett Ciancia with Pick 6 Previews. As mentioned, we are joined now by Brett Ciancia of Pick 6 Previews. Brett, how the heck are you doing this evening? Hey, guys. Thanks for having me on. I appreciate it again. It's one of my, one of my favorite segments each preseason. Um, you know, from my end of pick six previews, it's been a seven month grind. You know, once the confetti falls on the national title stage, I really start my process towards the next summer's book. Um, you know, I grinded it out and released it last weekend. So excited to talk about it. It's my 10th annual, hard to believe. Um, and this 10th one was probably the most difficult to deal with, uh, given all the, the uncertainties and, uh, irregularities of the 2020 season factored with the all time transfer boom. So, uh, but I still enjoyed every second of it. Uh, you know, I love the product we, that I have out there for 2021 and excited for what I think is the most anticipated season of our lifetimes here with stadiums opening up, uh, non-conference returning, you know, tailgates back. It's, it's going to be awesome. And Brett, where can the listeners find your uh, preview book? So it's pick6previews.com and at pick6previews on Twitter. And uh, what that is, it's, a, it's an annual season preview book. It's all 66 Power 5 teams in Notre Dame and BYU. Um, it's a one man show. It's just me. So I'm, I'm comparing across leagues, across divisions, across conferences. Um, you know, it's a blend of, uh, my numbers. I have my analytics there on the left side of the page, but really it's film study calls with head coaches, calls with coordinators, uh, listening into local shows, local, you know, radio. Uh, for example, your guy's show is one of my go-tos for the big 10, just to get a general feel for all these, all 14 of these programs, because you guys do a great job covering each of them. Um, but yeah, so calling around the head coaches and coordinators, um, watching spring games, everything I can get my hands on and putting it together in a nice readable form. Uh, you know, you got graphic stats, but then really a readable story. Um, that's what I think differentiates myself from the others is in the other books, you'll see a lot about, you know, oh, they have eight returning starters and their receivers, six, five and two ten. you know, in mine, it's kind of the unique storylines of each program, whether it be recruiting, uh, the history, the old rivalries, um, their schemes or their X's and O's, what they want to run and then some personnel too. So try and strike a nice balance. Yeah. Um, I, I, I concur. Uh, Brett did not uh, strong arm us into uh, saying this. I, we, Kurt and I both love your book. Um, as we talked offline, there are some people in the media that just cover college football. Then there are some people that live and breathe college football. Brett 100% lives and breathes college football. It comes through the pages of your book. Uh, probably why somebody picked up on that and how you became a, a Heisman, you know, trophy voter. It's fantastic. We love your book. And, and anybody listening to this podcast, we would assume is a big 10 football fan, probably a college football fan too. For some of you that haven't took the time to download and buy the book, please do it. It is the best. And I don't know, I don't know what else to say other than we, we appreciate the work that you put forward. It is my favorite uh, preview, Mag. And before we get into the deep questions, Brett, just because you brought it up, who is the favorite coach or your favorite coach in the Big Ten to talk to? In the Big Ten? Um, Big you Ten. know, I so out of the pool of coaches I talked to, it was, well, first off, thanks for that praise, Jeffrey. I really appreciate it. And Kurt, too, both for, for buying the book, having me on again, um, and, and just the glowing praise repeatedly. I'll give it right back to you. It's mutual respect the way you guys cover the league and uh, cover each team. Um, in terms of uh, conversations, yeah, so I've been able to speak with Iowa head coach Kirk Ferentz, uh, Indiana's coach Tom Allen, 
and Ohio State's receiver coach, uh, Brian Hartline. And each was kind of a unique interview, as you can imagine their, their uh, personalities. Um, you know, Tom Allen, you could his emotion through the phone, and this was before the 2020 season. This was last spring. Uh, he was talking about his vision for the program, how they're ready for that next step. So me watching it that fall was just cool to see it come to, 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 come to fruition. Everything that he had pictured came true uh, in 2020. And, um, you know, with, with Ferenc, Coach Ferenc, uh, we had a funny connection, too, where uh, he asked me where I was calling from, and I had actually been down at the Jersey Shore. So I mentioned Sea Isle City, and he was, was like, get out of town. I, you know, I grew up my summers there. I used to do recruiting there, um, recruiting trips at Ocean City, which is a nearby town. So we were talking about, like, you know, breakfast places, bars, a whole bit. So that was a cool connection randomly. I never thought that the Iowa head coach would be, you know, a Jersey Shore guy. So uh, just great guys. Uh, they, they all take the time to talk. And, you know, I give them, you know, real questions. I'm not here. To, I don't talk about rankings, predictions with them. I'm, I just want to learn about, you know, what, they, what their visions for the program are, how they differentiate in, in recruiting and branding, uh, what kind of schemes they run. And they walk me through their, you know, their, their coaching schemes. So I enjoy it. I enjoy it a lot. Fantastic. So, as we talked about uh, before on the podcast, we, we know there was a, you know, gigantic college football news bomb that's happened in the last 24 to 48 hours with Oklahoma, Texas. We're going to save that to the end. Maybe people have some Oklahoma, Texas uh, to SEC fatigue. So we'll just go ahead and focus on the Big Ten for now, and then we'll get into it later. So Kurt and I both got a couple questions. I'll just start off with one here. Uh, that's a little bit near and dear to my heart, but so Kurt and I are both biased towards the big 10, maybe even a little bit more biased towards the big 10 West as we, as people have called us out before. But my question to you is just what your thoughts are on, uh, it just seems like the big 10 West gets dragged a lot in the national media for being this, this down division. Uh, but somehow they, they landed four coaches in the top 25 in most coaches' rankings that you'll find. Um, and, and just the general quality of football, I believe, from teams one through four to even five seems pretty high to me. I think it's higher than what you can find in the Pac-12. I think it's higher than we can find the ACC, Big 12. General thoughts on where you think that comes from and how you think the Big 10 West stacks up against the non-SEC West, Big Ten East type of divisions? Yeah, it's, uh, it's an interesting question. I, you know, covering all five leagues and all nine divisions plus the Big 12, I mean, they're right in the middle. There's the, they're not like an outlier, good or bad. Um, you know, th- I think one thing that stands out is that they don't have a playoff contender in most years and they don't have that national champion dynasty program. And I don't fault them for that. I don't, I don't use that as a criteria of grading a division. Unfortunately, a lot of the national media and fans um, in this playoff or bust era, they view that as an indicator of the strength of the, of the division. So they'll think of Clemson and be like, wow, yeah, the ACC Atlantic, that, that division's tough. Well, not really. It's just that they have Clemson there. Um, you know, same with uh, what else? Yeah. So when you look at the Big Ten West, though, what I, what I do see, you already hit on it, was coaching. I mean, there's excellent coaches up and down uh, the division. Um, you know, they've proven formulas that work to, to their uh, their geographic location, their region, uh, the kind of athletes that they can pull in, and uh, they found what works. I mean, Wisconsin and Iowa are the two prime examples right now, um, with Paul Christ really continuing the, the Barry Alvarez and Brett Bielema tradition of big offensive lines and walk-on programs and strength and conditioning, which really sounds like the old Nebraska playbook. Um, but then with Iowa, the same thing. You're talking about two decades of Kirk Ferentz, uh, you know, just an excellent coach, an excellent player developer you know, turning three stars, two stars into NFLers or just all, all Big Ten, all conference guys. So excellent coaches. Um, and also, if, you, if you're into recruiting, um, I know that's not the end-all, be-all, but each of these programs just had their five-year highs in recruiting. Wisconsin breaking into the, the top 15, which is really rare. Iowa, I think it was top, tw- uh, top 25. Even Northwestern and Minnesota were, you know, hitting their five-year highs. So um, the talent is uh, – the talent level is increasing too. So, yeah, I just think on a general level, they don't have the, the, the playoff contender. So some fans will view that as a bad division. I think it's a, you know, a pretty solid or, or even above average division. Great. I was waiting for you to mention Northwestern. We don't want to get them angry. <laughs> uh, I have utmost respect for, for uh, Coach Fitzgerald, the way that he you know, grinds out victories uh, in the same sense that I mentioned that Wisconsin and Iowa develop players. Uh, Northwestern, really, they, they, they 
you know, they fit their perfect culture. And I, you know, sometimes I don't like buzzwords, but if you're going to use that buzzword somewhere, it's right there. They do everything clean. It's clean football, uh, no penalties, no turnovers. They really execute on the money plays on third down and in the red zone. Um, it's just fascinating to watch because on, on the stat sheet, you'd think they lost most of their games, but they grind out where it, where it really matters and they, and they, and they win. So they go through ups and downs. So I think that 2019, um, you know, it was a down year. They were, they were very young and all that paid dividends in 2020, but no, he should be mentioned on any other top coaching list of, of uh, you know, nationally big 10, you, you name it. Cause uh, you know, he's turned around a historically losing program into something really quality. Have you ever seen another program? Can you compare another program that is can be so inefficient offensively yet still win so many football games? Like, and I'm talking, you know, I'm going back to like 2018, even they had a atrocious running game, but somehow they would just put together a, a victory. And yeah, last year their run game improved towards the end of the season, but really offensively overall, not efficient not explosive, but they win football games. Can you compare anybody else to what they've done the last say five years? Yeah. So in terms of, uh, of defense first, like defense heavy, um, they're definitely up there. I mean, I was up there. I mean, for, for years, they were just the dominant defense that would, uh, have a complimentary offense, do just enough, you know, w- win the field position battle. So I'd say I was up there. Um, even the D'Antonio years, they were very defense first. If you remember that, uh, their defensive machine, they built, uh, for a non big 10 example, look, maybe to Utah, um, you know, always defense first churning out NFL defenders. They call it sack Lake city. Um, if they just could pair that with a solid offense, they'd you know, consistently win that league. Um, and then for maybe a different time era, about 10, 15 years ago, those Frank Beamer teams come to mind, um, where he always had them playing great special teams, blocking punts, stingy defense with NFLers, um, but not much on offense. So yeah, there are examples out there. Now I will say, statistically and just box score and just weirdness there. Uh, I call him a magician up there, the midway magician, because it doesn't make sense when you look at these box scores, but um, that's just a credit to them grinding out everything they have in their, in their personnel. It's not magic, Brett. It's black magic. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, for sure. I mean, and I put this in the book too. I, I don't have Northwestern very high this year. I think they're on the bottom cycle of their, of their, uh, well, the bottom end of their rotational cycle. Look okay, for 2022. We, we just want the college football gods to know. <laughs> I did not Brett say that. Well, let me, yeah, they're going to, they're going to pull an upset when we least expect it. You know, this, and, uh, yeah. and they'll be right back in the West conversation in 2022. Okay. Question number two, Brett, of course we're biased. We've, we've mentioned that, but Ohio state gets dragged for always winning the big 10 East and big 10 overall yet Clemson and Oklahoma do the same in the PAC 12 and, and or I'm sorry, same in the big 12 and the ACC and the PAC 12 never seems to have a dominant team. Why, why does the big 10 get dragged as a conference for that? So this was one. Um, yeah. I, I don't really see this one, to be honest. I, you know, I, I cover all 66. I see fans from all over the, the landscape. Um, I see Clemson usually dragged for this. I see the Clemson, uh, made fun of for their schedule, for the lack of ranked teams in their conference, uh, especially with Florida State down and Miami down and heck Virginia Tech down. There's really no uh, consistent power down there anymore. So I've seen that a critique of Clemson with Ohio State. Generally, I, I think it's pretty much respect. Uh, people understand the kind of machine that Urban Meyer built there and that Ryan Day has extended. Um, you know, when Meyer left, there were some critics saying there's no way that this Ryan day is going to keep this machine rolling and, and recruiting at the top five clip uh, or top 10 clip. And not only did he continue it, he elevated it. If you look at the kind of classes they're signing now, it's just consistent five stars. Um, yeah. So they're, they're a superpower. I don't see that uh, as a knock on the big 10. So maybe that's within more of the big 10 fan landscape, but um, it's mostly respect towards Ohio state. I, I'd say. Okay. And let me, let me funnel that question a little bit. We had a, a guy uh, that we interviewed on the podcast, Mr. Ohio uh, uh, does a good job talking about Ohio state football for sure, but uh, big 10 and national landscape. And, you know, it just seems like whenever Ohio state gets challenged by somebody in the big 10, it's what's wrong with Ohio state. But if the top SEC team gets challenged by another SEC team, it's, boy, that rugged, tough SEC. How about if I serve it up to you in that sense? Do, do, you, do you agree that there's more to that? Uh, yeah, so I, I've seen that. And uh, I've seen that. You saw that against Indiana where they built a, I think it was 42 to 14 lead or something, a 42. huge lead, and then a, you know, a late comeback by Michael Penix. 
uh, made it look close and, and really actually was close. And Ohio State, it's almost like they were charged with a loss there. It's like they, they actually lost the game. Uh, same with Northwestern, where rather than credit a great defense, um, a great uh, you know, stingy defense that Northwestern played, holding Ohio State to just 22 points, um, rather than that, it was all about oh, Ohio State's broken. There's no way they're going to beat Clemson. Uh, they don't belong in the playoff. But, you know, oh, they're ranked number 11 via Dabo Sweeney. Um, yeah, so I, I can see that that way. Now, you do get that other places, too, like with Alabama when they – gave up 42 points to Ole Miss and they couldn't, uh, they couldn't keep them off the field, that offense. Uh, they, they got some flack for that. And, um, you know, Clemson, uh, not so much this year, but in 2019 when UNC had them uh, with a two-point conversion at the end of the game, it's almost like they got charged with a loss. They moved down the ranks even though they won the game. So it's just like this, uh, this superpower tier, this Alabama, Clemson, Ohio State, they're kind of all in this. I mean, they're graded on a different scale. It's, it's not really fair. Uh, it's just the, the nature of this playoff or bust, uh, you know, college football that we have nowadays. And not that I agree with it, but that's just kind of the sentiment. Yeah, and I think it even kind of folded into quarterback play where people were dragging on Justin Fields way more than I thought he did, which kind of folds into my next question. Um, Justin Fields gone to the NFL. Trevor Lawrence gone to the NFL. Uh uh, Mac Jones from Alabama. I mean, these are the top three teams, right? Ohio State, Clemson, Alabama. They all got new quarterbacks. I feel like there's a big changing of the guard at quarterback in the country and maybe more, maybe a little bit in the Big Ten as well. It's the number one position. How do you feel the quarterback play in the Big Ten is compared to the other Power Five conferences? Well, yeah, I think that there is transition, but uh, more so in the Big Ten. You're right on this, where uh, I put together my all-conference teams preseason in my book. Um, Michael Penix was a clear number one from the, from the Big Ten. But from there, it was kind of like pulling teeth because I really don't like giving uh, preseason honors to guys that haven't started yet, uh, you know, five-star guys or, or transfer players. So uh, I was really scraping through, and I ended up actually going with C.J. Stroud, one of the, the leaders of that Ohio State quarterback battle. Um, yes, there were other experienced starters there, like a Sean Clifford uh, or an Adrian Martinez. Both guys were benched at times last year. So even though they've shown great glimpses of excellence over their course of their career, uh, the consistency has been a struggle. So um, then, of course, you have uh, a changing at Northwestern, um, you know, and then Iowa with Spencer Petras. I think he'll be pushed uh, by, by Padilla a bit. Um, so, yeah, the, yeah, I think that the quarterback transition looks more striking and in, in the Big Ten. On a national scale, though, there's plenty of great guys. I mean, there's plenty of returning stars. Um, I mean, in the Pac-12, you've got Jaden Daniels, Arizona State, and Keaton Slovis going to put up a ton of yards in their air raid offense at USC. Um, you know, the Big 12, Spencer Rattler's a Heisman candidate. Brock Purdy, you know, Brocktober, the whole bit, he, he wins and is consistent. Um, then you have a couple of Heisman candidates in the ACC with Sam Howell, UNC, and Derek King, an electric quarterback in Miami. So, um, yeah, there's guys everywhere. Another thing I'll note real quick, is just because they're new faces doesn't mean that it's going to be a drop-off of play. There's five stars everywhere. I mean, DJU at Clemson, Bryce Young, Alabama. Uh, even A&M has this guy, Haynes King. Uh, if they hit a home run there, they're a, a solid SEC contender. So it's just new faces. We go through this every year, and um, you know these guys will be stars by mid-October. So I, for our Gopher listeners, we have many of them. Where would you place Tanner Morgan in the Big Ten in terms of quarterback play? Yeah, uh, he's, he was great in 2019. I think that all, whole offense was, was great passing-wise in 2019 um, with that RPO game, the slants. They would slant you to death um, with those uh, receivers. And So last year, it mostly became a, a run-first attack. I loved what they had of Mo Ibrahim, the conference-leading rusher. That's a guy that didn't get enough credit nationally, if you want to take that spin on it. He should have gotten a lot more publicity and, and attention, but I think the, the shortened season hurt. And uh, by the time that he was rolling in his second or third game, other guys were in their eighth or ninth game. So, um, but yeah, he's an incredible running back. I love their offensive line, five guys back. You could even call it six guys back because the whole 2020 lines back plus the, the big Daniel Falale uh, is, is returning from an opt-out. So um, yeah, they're stacked. I mean, Tanner Morgan was very accurate in 2019, uh, was still solid last year. I just figured with CJ Stroud, he's got a five-star potential, five-star billing. And I know that whoever emerges out of the Ohio State room would probably win the job at Minnesota as well. So uh, I, I don't like doing that, doing the preseason uh, five-star or JUCO guy or junior or uh, transfer guy, but uh, it was just striking there with Ohio State. I, I just feel like, 
you know, certainly more dialed into the Big Ten, but um, it just feels like the last couple of years, you knew who the major contenders were going to be because of quarterback. They not only had returning starters at quarterback, they had returning superstars at quarterback, and they're mostly gone now. Maybe I'm, I'm being too optimistic, but outside of Spencer Rattler at Oklahoma, who got benched for a little bit last year and was a little bit, you know, um, um, uh, mistake prone for a while, maybe we have the ability to think there could be some new blood in the college football playoff. Maybe there will be a crazy year where we got more upsets because of the lack of 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 studs at starting uh, uh, at blue blood uh, schools. You know, certainly got talent around them, but just that, I don't know, just a little bit of a conversation on, do you think there could be a little bit of an erratic year this year? Yeah, I think we're in for that. Um, yeah, you know, uh, no, spoiler alert, my playoff bracket I have, it's missing Clemson and it's missing Alabama. And trust me, I'm getting the feedback on Twitter for that, but uh, mm-hmm. I'll stand by it. And, uh, you know, I have two quarterbacks, JT Daniels at Georgia and Sam Howell at UNC, uh, both making my bracket. And uh, I'll go even beyond just quarterback, uh, just on a national scale, without the 2020 preseason. So I know I'm going back here, but with all that, without all that spring ball, all that summer and fall camp, um, you missed out on a whole developmental year. So for these programs that send 10, 12 guys to the pros every year and guys leave early, like the Ohio States, the Bamas, the Clemsons, um, their young guys coming up are that much, that much less uh, experienced than they usually are. So, yeah, there's definitely opportunities to clip some of these teams with the loss. Meanwhile, on the, on the converse of that, you have programs that are now getting a fifth or sixth year uh, super seniors with this new eligibility year by the NCAA, this bonus year. So, yeah, I think that the, uh, you're in for a lot of parity, a lot of upsets. Um, I think it'd be refreshing for, for college football because it's gotten really chalky, um, you know, a lack, of op- a lack of upsets or new blood winning the conferences. So, yeah, I think that those factors combine for what I hope is going to be a pretty exciting season. Fantastic points. It's, it's a great point about the depth. I love that. Uh, so circling back to Ohio State, we asked about them earlier. Nobody can deny they've been dominating the Big Ten. I'm a guy that likes variety. I like seeing different teams win national championships, I like seeing different teams win conferences. When will somebody finally catch up to Ohio State in the Big Ten? Who will it be and what is that going to look like? Yeah, so you know, I talked about Alabama and Clemson both missing the playoff in my preview. I do have Ohio State. Um, you know, just like those other two have to reload, so does Ohio State. But this year, I didn't see another threat within the conference uh, to really push them for a conference title. Um, you know, when you look about mo- moving forward, who's going to eventually catch up to Ohio State as a program? Um, I mean, my bet would be Penn State just on the recruiting angle of this uh, in their history and the recent performance. Um, you know, Wisconsin and Iowa are close. I think on any given week, they, they could upset Ohio State. Um, you know, Wisconsin, especially with their, uh, cause they've been close Wisconsin. They really dominated the West the last five, six years, but came up short against Ohio state, given the opportunities. I think that if they get elite play from Graham Mertz, um, that's a position that had been lacking ever since Russell Wilson there really. So if he brings that, if he's true to that five-star billing and raises that, uh, brings a vertical pass game to Wisconsin, then, uh, they could be dangerous because you know, you know, they, you know, they have the defense, uh, with Jim Leonard, who actually turned down a Packers offer this year. Um, they have an incredible defense, nine starters back, a loaded back seven, uh, and their usual big offensive line. So I'd say Wisconsin or Penn State. And then how crazy is it that we asked about who's going to catch up with Ohio State team one? You listed off Penn State, Wisconsin, and Iowa. No Michigan listed there. Oh, oh how the times have changed. Yeah, well, they certainly had their opportunities. I think that it's uh, 14 out of 15 they've lost against Ohio State. And uh, I wrote about this in the book with, uh, with, uh, with Michigan where um, under Jim Harbaugh, they were excellent defensively against the, the middle of the pack or even uh, above average teams. But against ranked teams and against Ohio State, they were some of the worst out there. Some of that you can call scheme. I think definitely they stayed in man-to-man a bit too much. Um, that, that works when you have the talent edge, obviously. You saw that, but it doesn't when you don't. And uh, Ohio State just – crossered them to death with crossing patterns. Um, so, yeah, I'm, I'm rambling a bit, but with Michigan, they've kind of had their chances. They had the, the, the roster, uh, roster talent. They've had the blue chip quarterbacks. They've had all the resources in the world. And nothing has clicked yet. So uh, I don't know why it would uh, going forward, especially with this staff change. They, uh, they're going kind of through, I call it musical chairs with their staff. It's putting uh, coaches that have never coached quarterbacks as quarterback coaches, 
new offensive line guys that aren't experienced there. It's, it's interesting. So he's either going to look like a genius or it's going to really blow up. So we're going to learn this fall. Okay. For our Penn state listeners, and this is kind of what I was trying to get at here. Penn state, I think is, is the team you got to look at based on coaching, based on recruiting, take the last five years and switch the quarterback rooms between Ohio state and Penn state. Who's the best team in the big 10. <laughs> Wow. Well, uh, I think I'd still go Ohio State because you're talking about uh, their defense. They've, they've featured four of the last five NFL rookies of the year on defense. I mean, they, they have star power every year at Ohio State. Um, the, the quarterback's just the, the icing on top. So, um, But with Penn State, for sure, it's been a solid program. It's been, uh, you know, they've had their own solid defenses of late. Um, it hasn't clicked on offense. But I think that this new hire, uh, Mike Yersich, coming in from Oklahoma State, he's bringing a, you know, Big 12-type offense. And and when it really clicked down there in Stillwater, it was because he had a large stable of uh, excellent receivers. And if you look at Penn State's roster, that fits perfectly with their strength this year. Um, you know, with Jahan Dotson coming back, deciding to come back for a year, and Parker Washington broke out as a freshman last year. It's a great one-two punch, depth behind him. So that, that looks like it fits. And, um, yeah, so I like their, their offensive coordinator hire. Now, you know, you can find this too. I, I liked it last year when they hired Kurt Sriracha from Minnesota. I thought that was going to click, but I think that he got hit without that, uh, without the preseason, without the spring. It was hard to implement, and and they had their own locker room problems, I think, last year. So in a more normal season going forward, yeah, Penn State's your number two punch. Um, they've proven they can play right with Ohio State. They've had some close ones uh, and some upsets recently against them. Okay, moving a little bit from the Big Ten, but not too far. Your opinions on the 12-team playoff? Oh, I hate it. I absolutely hate it. And I know that's probably in the minority opinion out there, but I'm still going to stand by it. I'm, I'm a, a staunch 14 playoff guy. And if I had my way, I'd probably go back to two. Um, no, I, I like four. I think four is perfect because with two, you, you leave the opportunity open that you have three undefeated power five teams. And that would really stink to have one of them left out. You, you know, it happened in 2004 Auburn. And it would have happened two years ago with uh, Clemson, Ohio state and LSU all going undefeated. So Four is perfect. You're never going to find a year where you can point to five undefeated conference champions. It has never happened in 152 years um, of college football. If it does, then I'll, then I'll look at expansion. But until that time you lose a game, you, you know, you, you leave the door open for, uh, you know, possibilities. Now with that said, if you're a power five team, you lose a game, you're still alive. You lose one game and you win your conference title game. You make the, the, the playoff 14 out of 15 times, 93%. So uh, the only team that didn't happen for was actually Ohio State um, when they lost to Purdue, I believe, or Iowa. One of those West teams were out on the one year. Otherwise, no, I think four is perfect. You start to water it down if you expand from there, which then impacts the regular season. Um, and real quick, because I see this commonly brought up like, oh, uh, this, you know, the bowls don't mean anything. And, oh, this will help the postseason. Well, they do. They mean the exact same thing they've always meant. The only thing has shifted is that the vast majority of college football fans have taken ESPN's lead on that it's playoff or bust. You know, if, if uh, the Bulls still mean it just as much as they did in 1990. The Sun Bowl in 1990 means the same exact as it does this, this time around, 2021. It's just that the fan perceptions and the networks have told you that it doesn't matter, and that's gotten to the players' minds, so then they think they should opt out and play in a pointless bowl game. And, uh, you know, I could go on and on. This is, you got me on a rant here. I'll, I'll rant for another half hour. But, um, no, no, I think just take, take a little bit alternate look at it and think of the ramifications of it and, and think why we think these things. It's because, the, you know, the big money, the big TV uh, runs the show, and they, they've kind of changed perception. It's nice to hear somebody uh, share the fervor that I have. I still love the bull system. I wanted to continue on. But, as you said, money, money, money. And there's no school that you think of – more of money, money, money than Texas. And this gets us into our last question of the podcast. It sure seems like there's a lot of smoke of, or fire to the smoke with Texas and Oklahoma leaving the Big 12 to join the SEC. Um, again, Texas is going to do what's good for Texas. They couldn't care anything less. It, it's not just Texas. It's the entire state of Texas. That's how the mentality is. Um, Texas A&M ironically is, is the school fighting them the hardest. So here it is that it's the, it's the hot topic of today. Give us your first couple thoughts. Maybe we'll add a couple after that. Yeah. So I don't have anything groundbreaking. I don't, you know, I don't have any sources on the ground down in Texas, but, um, you know, from afar and from a national perspective, um, 
It reminds me of the 2010 circus, the musical chairs back in 2010 when uh, Texas threatened to leave the Big 12 at the time. And, um, you know, you had a, a Texas writer tweeting out about the Pac-16 was a lock and that Texas and Oklahoma were out. And, uh, none of that came true. But what it did do is it showed to other Big 12 members like Colorado and Nebraska and Missouri that, hey, this, this Big 12 is unstable. It's, it's gotten too much uh, Texas-centric, more than it ever was. When, when they moved the Big 12 offices from Kansas City down to Texas, uh, that was writing on the wall. So Nebraska and Missouri and Colorado, they got out, I guess, A&M also, to more stable conferences. And uh, so 10 years later, here we are, and they're doing, a, doing it again. And, um, who knows, really, what, what's going on behind the scenes, if it's actually uh, those two want to go to the SEC or whether they're leveraging for more power within the Big 12. I don't really know. I don't think anyone does. Um, you know, uh, from a surface level, I don't know why those two would do it. Um, first with Texas, if it's really about money, they already are the number one revenue team in America and f- number one revenue football program in America, the only ones with their own TV channel. Uh, so I'm not sure which more they could gain from that money wise. And uh, also they should figure out that money isn't solving their football problem because uh, they've really struggled the past decade football wise with all the resources in the world. Uh, Oklahoma real quick. Why would they leave? They have the perfect setup. Uh, they run that league. It's been six straight conference titles. That's the longest streak uh, tied with Clemson since the fifties of, of a team winning a power five league. Um, so they have, and, and as you know, a conference title nowadays almost equals a playoff bid. So they kind of have a perfect ride into the playoff every year. Um, now you go join the sec West. What you'd be like fourth out of eight in that. So um, yeah, I don't really see it from the sec's perspective. Lastly, uh, sure. Why not? I mean, if they think that the, the, the future of the sport is going to be 16 team powerhouse, you know, mini NFLs, then why not grab those two free agents right now? They're two blue bloods and bring national followings. So from their perspective, I see it uh, from the individual programs. I don't know why they leave. So if they do, let's, let's just fast forward a couple of weeks and let's say it's announced Oklahoma and Texas are going to the SEC. Does that start another arms race for, for conferences? Does the big 10 have to go out and get two more or can they just stay put where they're at? Yeah, that's interesting. Uh, it, it's either it really depends on the Big 12, because if those two leave and the Big 12, you know, has a, a passion to keep their their conference afloat, they'll probably be the uh, be the ones pursuing new uh, conference members. They'll start calling up the UCF, USF, so the world, the Cincinnati's, um, you know, maybe the Boise States and BYU's and the West Coast. Like they'll be the ones looking for targets. If the Big 12 is the one that ends up collapsing, then, yeah, then you have an all-out arms race with the big money, the big five. Well, I guess in that case, the big four conferences where you'd have, uh, I don't know, the Pac-12 looking after Oklahoma State or TCU and uh, the Big Ten looking to pull in Kansas because of basketball or stuff like that. and The ACC bringing West Virginia back to their geographical footprint. So uh, it could go one of two ways. Either the, the Big 12 just comes a lot, becomes a lot weaker and has to bring on two non-AQs or four non-AQs. Or it's just the whole thing collapses and then all those teams get scattered. Um, you know, so, I mean, as a football traditionalist, if you want to call it that, or just someone that appreciates what makes college football unique, you know, the geographical element of it, the, the regionality of it, the old rivalries, the in-state battles, um, each wave of this realignment really wipes away more and more of that. And it becomes more of this mini NFL. Um, I saw a tweet where these, uh, some of these national guys thought it was groundbreaking that the SEC could do pods. They called it four team pods that rotated who they played. Oh, I'm thinking in my head, that's just the NFC, bro. That's, that's right. exactly just the NFC. So right. um, yeah, I, I'm all about the old tradition, the old rivalries, um, the old conferences and, you know, winning your league meant something to to your region. Now it's uh, you know, it's just slowly become big, big TV money. Yeah. Um, to me, uh, there's only two options. This is somewhat of a power play for, Texas to try to get even more power and money out of the big 12. Cause that's what they do. Uh, that's in their DNA and they stay in the big 12, the big 12 stays Texas, Oklahoma and the other teams, or they leave it dissolves. And we go down to four power conferences. Like I just don't see any option other than those two. I'm with you, Brad. I, I still feel like I am a, tra- a traditionalist. It bugs me that we're moving this far away. We we've called it God's sport and the greatest sport for the last 50 to hundred years because it was unique. I feel like we're stripping it away. I hope I'm wrong. I sound, I hope I sound like an old, an old man, you know, angry at clouds, but 
I'm just <laughs> fearful that it's just it's just going to get more and more corporate. Yeah, it's it's already happening. It's a shame. Um, the talks of the playoff expansion, um, you know, just the constant stream of conference realignment over the years. It's nothing new. Uh, it really started, I guess, in the '90s when when TV money really started taking off, and that's what drove everything with the the TV contracts. And then the you know you wanted to get new geographical footprints, which meant eyeballs. And, uh, I mean, new eyeballs on TV. So yeah, it's. It's uh, I agree with you because uh, I always hear this from people like, oh, well, look how great the NFL has it with their their playoff system or look at the March Madness with basketball. And look, don't get me wrong. Those are those are great in their own regards, but they're they're their own sports. It's okay for college football to be unique. Um, It really is unique to our country. Uh, No, no other country has college athletics like this. Nobody has uh, college football, obviously, because football is American. But um, it's really the last unique sport we have. And I don't know why we're just trying to cram it in to be the, the next NFL so, yeah, it does irritate me. I, you know, I'm always going to love the game, love the, the players, the coaches, the, the games, uh, you know, the experience of being there on a Saturday in the, in the fall. But, um, yeah, you're just starting to take away bit by bit all that made it unique, uh, even a generation ago or even 10 years ago. So uh, we'll see. I mean, uh, I don't want to end it on such a negative note. I think we're in for an incredible 2021. Like I said, with the return to stadiums, the return to tailgates, uh, you know, so and a full slate of 12 games and con- non-conference games and bowl games and, yeah, you know, I, I hope that there's a renewed spirit this year because we really need it with, with college football. See, you're kind of old. Yes. I'm kind of old. Yes. Brett's nine. No. But he thinks like that. <laughs> Does that give us, like, confidence in ourselves that we it, can be – It validates us. Yeah, I think, I think yeah. so. That's, what, that's <laughs> mostly what I heard right there. But, yeah, man, I, I've got tickets to uh, – uh, Kurt and I got tickets to uh, Illinois, Nebraska. We've got tickets. I've got tickets to Iowa, Indiana. Dude, Ohio State, Minnesota. Ohio State, Minnesota. We've Ooh, the opener. a smorgasbord of, of live college football that we're going to partake in. Dude, I can't wait. Oh, a for sure. Season. A real season. It's going to be great. Yeah. All right. Anything else, Big Kurt? No, sir. Thank you, Brett. Brett, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. It, it, it's just awesome to get insight. Anything you, you want to add yourself? Yeah, no, thanks again, guys, for having me. It's one of my favorite annual stops, um, you know, especially because I do tune in. Uh, you know, not the normal viewing hours. Usually your listeners are tuning in each week, uh, you know, throughout the week on their commutes. But I'm kind of weird where I wait the whole season, I'm doing my thing. And then when I go to research the book, I kind of relive the whole season. So I go, it'll be in the middle of February. It'll be snowing out and I'll be sitting down uh, with my buddies in the downstairs athletic club, tuning into week three, you know, big 10. Um, so you guys do an incredible job. Uh, like I said, it kind of the same theme as uh, the national guys that might only take a couple of teams to look at, but you're the opposite. You guys do all 14 very well, break down every game, give some insight to, and not just the, the raw score and, and, and stats. So Keep up the great work. Uh, also, your listeners are excellent. I've gotten a lot of DMs from them uh, and, and tweets. And I just, you know, it's a very interactive base you guys have built, which is a great reflection of you guys as hosts and as, you know, content creators and uh, and, and just real down-to-earth football guys. So uh, mutual respect and uh, thanks for having me on. And, uh, yeah, excited to get the 10th annual book out there. I'm blushing. You blushing? A little bit. Brett, thanks for coming on. I am Jeffrey the Greek. I'm Big Kurt. This has been the Eyes on Big Podcast. Thanks so much, and we'll talk to you soon. Peace.